In fact, we want you to know that we have designed today's service with you in mind. Because no matter where you're coming from or where you're going, you are absolutely welcome here. Yeah, DSBC is a community of all different types of people from different walks of life brought together by the knowledge of God's love and grace made known to us through Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so this morning we are going to sing together, we're going to pray, we're going to hear from God's Word. And as we prepare to do that, let's remember these words from Psalm 100. Uh, I'm going to read it in English. And I will read in Swahili, a language spoken in Kenya and the wider East African nations. This is Psalms 100. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. Kwa kuwa bwana ndiye mwema rehema zake ni za milele na uaminifu wake vizazi na vizazi This is the word of the Lord Amen Hey everyone if you would stand up and join us while we worship
been told a lot of things of who we are, haven't we, throughout this week? Everything on television and in, in our culture talks to us. The scriptures talk about a man who said, Lord, I believe, but please help my unbelief. And I would imagine that in this room and in our lives, there are moments that we don't really believe God. We believe some of the voices that, that from our past or even from our present. And today, we're hoping that you would, it's our prayer that you would hear the voice of God moving you into places that perhaps might be uncomfortable. This next song talks about that, about being kind, about seeing the needy, about us being the hands and feet of Christ, and going to places that he's already there ministering to folks. And he invites us into those situations if we will go, we will experience him in a much deeper and richer way and our faith will increase. May this song bless you as we sing it.
See you. 
Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning and for the reminder of that song. I love that song because it reminds me that even in my lowest of times and my most excited time and every time in between, Jesus is my living hope. And here at DSBC, we are all about helping you take your next step towards Jesus. And for some of you, that might be, what do you mean by living hope? <laughs> That's kind of confusing. That's kind of weird, right? Maybe it's asking a thousand questions about who this Jesus guy is. For others, it might be getting baptized or joining a community group or serving on one of the many teams that serve the campus and our community. Whatever your next step might be, we want to help you take that. And maybe for some of you, you might even not be sure what your next step might be. We'd love to have a conversation with you. If you would text hello to the number that you see on the screen, we'll send you some more information and we'll connect you with a team member if you would like. If you're new this morning, like I said earlier, we're so excited you're here. Thank you for, for taking time out of your day to be with us today. And we believe we are called as a church family to be as welcoming as we possibly can to the community that God has given us to serve and to care for. And so actually, I'd like to ask your help. If you're new this morning, we could use your help to know how we could get better. We'd love to hear from you about your experience or uh, how you heard about us or if there's a way that we can serve you better. And so if you would also text hello to the number that you see on the screen, we'll just send you a couple questions and we'll send you a gift card just to say thank you for sharing your thoughts with us. We honestly do want to learn and be better. And so we really do appreciate your help in that way. And as a church family, in all of these ways, we believe we're called to live generously. And that with our time, our energy, and with our resources. And for that reason, we receive an offering. We give an offering each week as an act of worship. Now, it's not something we do out of guilt or expectation or what somebody told us we were supposed to do. We do it in response to God's love and generosity in our lives. And if you're new this morning again, please, there's no obligation to participate. But if you'd like to worship with us in this way, you can use any of the methods that you see on the screen. Please know that when you give, not only is it honoring to God, but it's an investment in the lives of people. In fact, this coming week, uh, your generosity has helped us pr provide a campus and a space to invite hundreds of kids here for our annual splash camp. Yes, it's very exciting. I'm so excited. So what, if for those of you who are maybe are not aware of what Splash Camp is, it's something we do each year in, in June. We invite hundreds of kids to the campus where they get an opportunity to sing and learn about Jesus and just hang out and eat some really cool snacks, uh, hang out with some really great adults. And it's just an amazing opportunity to serve our community. And it's not just for our church family. It's for the community at large. And that means that we're going to have kids here that maybe have never been to a church before. And what that also means is it takes 100, almost 100 volunteers, people to serve these kids during that week. So we have people who take off of work, who rearrange their schedule uh, just to hang out with these kids in 100 degree heat for a week because they know God is going to move. And so we actually want to take the opportunity this morning uh, to just pray over and bless those who are serving this week uh, at Splash Camp. So whether you're here in the room or you're online, we'd like to just pray over you uh, for your, your sacrifice, for your time, and all that you're going to be uh, involved in this week. And for those of you who are maybe not serving in that way, would you just join me in praying for them?
And let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you for those that will be here this week. First of all, for the kids and the families that I know that you have orchestrated them being here. And and we don't take that lightly. We're so thankful for uh, all that you've done to bring these kids and families onto the campus. I pray that we would uh, serve them well, that we would reflect your love in just the most amazing and beautiful way that these families maybe have never experienced before. And with that, I'm so thankful for all that you have called to serve these kids in this family, this, these families this week. I pray that even tonight that you give them good rest, uh, that you give them excitement and joy as they wake up early tomorrow. I pray that you uh, keep them cool physically, but also just emotionally as we're juggling lots of things uh, this week. Um, I just, I pray blessing on their family. There is a lot to deal with. There's a lot to organize. And I pray that, that you keep all those pieces together for them and that they are able to see your hand working this week. And God, most of all, I pray that they see you in the hearts of these kids as they serve them. Father, we just pray a blessing on all who will be here in this next week. In your name, amen. Amen. church. So over the last, I don't know, year or two, we have talked about things like uh, really hard issues like racism, nationalism. We've talked about sexual assault and abuse. We've talked about reconciliation across broken relationships. And uh, today we thought we'd take a break from hard conversations. Okay. We're going to talk about money. Seriously, just for me, I, I used to get really nervous like talking about money, and now, especially uh, in light of the last like five years of preaching, six, seven, almost seven years of preaching as lead pastor here, it's like, this is easy, man. Uh, one of the things that makes it so easy is as a church family, we are, it's in our culture, it's in our values to live generously. We talk every week about being a people who are not giving of finances or time or energy out of a, a sense of guilt or shame or expectation or obligation or some sort of religious uh, responsibility. We do it as a heart's response to God's grace and generosity in our lives. And for me, at least, uh, as, as, as uh, I have strived uh, to be generous, I have always been met with a gift at the other side of the generosity. And so I get excited when I think about living generously, not only as an individual and within my family, but as a church family. And as a church family, living generously has been part of uh, our, our story from the beginning. We were planted 44 years ago in 1977 uh, by Bethany Bible Church, who, who sent people and resources to the very edge of town, Bell and Tatum at the time, to plant a Jesus-proclaiming church 
And they sent, uh, again, leadership and, and provided a, a bunch of money and resources. They were very generous to us. In fact, uh, aside from just gifting uh, some of the initial funds, they had actually, uh, the, I wasn't actually around at the time, but the way that I've heard the story is that they actually, uh, they carried their note on uh, some debt for us uh, at, a, at a, a helpful rate. And, and, and we owed them like five figures, like middle five figures. And uh, they came to us after, after praying and thinking and recognizing, you know, this call to generosity. And they, they came to us as a church family after they had planted us so many years after planting us and said, hey, um, we're going to forgive the debt. We're going to give that to you as a gift. But we're going to ask that you would, um, they wouldn't have said it this way, but have you guys ever heard the term pay it forward? Uh, we're going to ask that you would uh, see this generosity and that in the future you would be generous to uh, maybe even church plants in, uh, in the area or around the world. And so one of the things that I love about Desert Springs is we, it's part of our practice to uh, 10% of the funds that come into our general fund, we uh, pray through and look for ways to invest that outside of our organization. So we tithe that, that, that 10% into uh, partners here in the valley, uh, across the country, and around the world, ministries that we believe God's calling us to. It's one of the reasons why that, that gift from Bethany Bible Church, that heart of Generosity is one of the reasons why we are committed to financially supporting uh, Redemption North Mountain, which is a church that recently launched just down the street from us. Uh, they are uh, right now meeting on Cactus and I don't even remember, like 28th Street or something like that over in that space. Uh, um, and actually are moving over to 7th Street and Thunderbird. Oh, can I tell you guys a cool story? Oh my gosh, this is so crazy. Okay, so as a church family, we recognize that we are one of many awesome local churches that Jesus has gifted to our city. And uh, there's a, a, a two uh, friends of mine. So Ben, who's the pastor at Citizens Church, uh, they have a property on 7th Street and Thunderbird. And uh, uh, Redemption North Mountain, so Josh Watt, who's the pastor at Redemption North Mountain, they're looking for a place to meet on Sunday mornings. I don't know if you know this, but Sunday mornings is kind of like the primo spot time slot for churches to gather. But here's the deal. If there's a church that currently occupies a building, it's, it's very rare for uh, another church to be able to meet in that space. Obviously, you've got some, some constricted, like the space-time continuum and the way that that works. You can't have people in the same space at the same time. But here's something really cool. Uh, one of the things as uh, pastors, as we gather together as North Phoenix pastors frequently, and we pray for each other, we pray for especially for church planners, and through the generosity of this church and the generosity of the, 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 the North Phoenix churches, uh, ben, who's the leader at Citizens Church, and Josh have actually worked together to meet in the same space where now Redemption North Mountain is meeting on Sunday mornings, which is a huge deal when they've been meeting on Sunday nights in a gym. All of that comes from uh, church families with a heart of generosity, a heart of viewing one another, not with suspicion, with, with collaboration, and you are all a part of it. It's been part of our story from the beginning. It continues to be a part of our story as a church family as we strive to live generously. Uh, in 2019, just before COVID, the timing was perfect. We started a vision campaign. Thank you, Jesus. No, it was. In God's timing, it was actually, looking back on it, I'm sure 40 years from now, looking back on it, I think it was cool. But right now, it's kind of, you know. So we started this vision campaign in 2019. 
We raised the funds uh, for, for, as a vision campaign called Build 100, and we, we believe that God was calling us to uh, build up 100 new leaders, to build or provide or rebuild 100 safe homes for uh, people in our community through Habitat for Humanity, which that has uh, finally launched after a long delay with, uh, with COVID and stuff like that, uh, but also to add 100 more uh, multi-use space on our campus. We love using this campus to bless people. We do things like uh, weddings. We do free funerals in this space a lot, but we know that we can seat about 750 people in this space, but the next largest space that we have is about 130 people, and so it kind of hinders our ministry capacity, so we recognize that, but we said before, as a church family, we said before we do any of those things, we want to raise the funds to put an elevator on our two-story kids building, because our two-story kids building was built in the 80s. At the time, elevators weren't, uh, as to my understanding, weren't mandated. It was something that, that we just didn't do, but we recognized because we want every kid Every kid in this community to meet Jesus and to grow in a Jesus-centered community, we don't want anyone not able to hang out with their adventure kids. And so we said, hey, the first thing we're going to do for this Build 100 thing is we're going to build an elevator on that two-story building. And so I want to give you just a quick update. Uh, we had raised the funds in February of 2020. And then everything kind of came to a bit of a pause, uh, and we have been working with our general contractors, our architects in the city of Phoenix. And I don't know if you know this, but construction stuff is going bonkers right now. And so we actually just reapplied for a new permit with the city of Phoenix. Uh, this is just an example of the drawings. I think you guys can see there. That's our two-story kids building. Uh, the elevators there. Um, I, I did want to mention something that I love uh, about our church family too. This is not on the cheap. Now, we're not getting like the Mercedes-Benz here. But I want to be very clear. Have you guys ever ridden in a cheap elevator? It's like, like you're thinking, I should have filled out my will and testament before getting on this thing, right? And, and, I, and I, in all seriousness, one of the very uh, real conversations we had, especially as the construction prices keep going up and up and up and up, I mean, the elevator is going to cost us roughly double what we initially set out. But here's the jam. God has provided in some pretty substantial and amazing ways. He has met your generosity with generosity, even to the point to where another local church gave us $200,000 to go to the elevator. So I, I, I see God's fingerprints all over this. And there's, there's one thing, too, that I just, I want to lean into this space. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just write from my heart, church family. We're going to be the kind of church that doesn't do elevators on the cheap. Because we believe that every human, every person, regardless of capacity, ability, or background, is made with inherent dignity, worth, and value. And an unair conditioned, like razor blade collection looking chintzy, like thing, likely doesn't communicate dignity, worth, and value. And so, church family, thank you for being willing to, in your generosity, also communicating value to every member of this church family and every member of this community. That's a big deal. And it stems from your heart of generosity. Generosity is at the heart of our church family, and it is at the heart of our story. Uh, the first, uh, to my recollection, 2020 made me forget a lot of stuff, including my name, but to my recollection, it was the first, if not one of the first, donations to our church family blew my mind. Uh, I got an email, I think it was an email, it might have been like a Facebook message or something. Person said, hey, Pastor Caleb, can I meet with you? I didn't know this person. And I, like literally, we met at the Starbucks on Bell and Tatum and we did the thing where you're sitting at different tables wondering. 
You guys ever happen to, you're just like, okay, are you the person? I don't want to be a weirdo. And so we finally connect, and, and he says, hey, my wife and I, we've been, we've been coming, listen to this, we've been coming to Desert Springs, it was either for like four or six weeks. And we, and we heard you guys talking about the elevator, and we just so believe in this uh, vision that we want to be, we want to, we want to donate first. Uh, we believe in it. Here's something else, too. We're moving. We're moving back east. We just made this decision like this week or something. We got family members that are sick, and we just bought our house, so we're selling our house. We're taking it on the chin. This was not a, a financial windfall for us. It was, it was a financial burden for us, but we so believe in what we're doing with the— and they, they, were, uh, they were new parents, too. I believe they had just had their first baby. And so we so believe in what this church family is doing with the elevator. We want to cut you a $6,000. It was three or $6,000 check. And then I never saw the person again. And I was like, was it an angel, Lord? (laughs) Generosity is life-giving. Generosity begets more generosity. As a church family, we strive to live generously, not out of guilt, shame, expectation, or obligation. We strive to live generously with our time, our energy, our talents, and our resources because it gives, not only gives a blessing, but there's always a gift on the other side of the generosity for us. The celebration with Redemption North Mountain of moving into a space way sooner than they thought on a Sunday morning, we get to celebrate that and give praise to God because we're a part of that story. Do you see how the generosity weaves us together and then increases our joy, which is a gift? All right, you don't have to take my word for it. Let's uh, look at your Bible. Okay, so we're going to look at Hebrews um, the book of Hebrews is a letter, so most actually after the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you could turn there if you would, please. If you're not sure where Hebrews is, don't worry about it. Uh, most of us in the room don't know that either. So you just look at the table of contents at the beginning, and it's all the way to the right in the New Testament. Um, and if you don't have a Bible and would like one, there are some available on the tables in the back. For those of you that are joining us online, if you just go to Bible.com, you'll be able to follow along there as well. There's also a Bible feature if you're on our online platform. Uh, you can click that Bible tab and navigate to Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, Hebrews is like much of the New Testament, many of the books of the New Testament, it's a letter from a pastor written to a church or a, a series of churches. And in these letters, what you commonly get, so like Ephesians, Galatians, 1 Corinthians, etc., what you usually get is a, a, a big picture of who Jesus is and what the good news of the gospel is. And then you get that big idea of who Jesus is and who the gospel is, and it begins to be applied by these pastors to very specific circumstances within the community. So these New Testament authors, after the book of Acts, are trying to apply the gospel, this beautiful good news of who Jesus is, trying to apply it to the specific context of their local church or churches. And so that's why you'll get these really, you'll get these really big, awesome, like sing a song about it, uh, expositions on who Jesus is, and then like a very particular little thing like um, stop getting drunk with communion wine. And in Hebrews, we get a, what's, what commonly happens in some of these letters is, is not a very, very specific application of the gospel, but more of a cultural framing uh, call for the gospel. So the gospel is going to shape you as a church family into a specific type of people. So they're, they're broader, and they, they often specifically have to do with our households or like things in our houses. So it'll talk about our marriage. It'll talk about how we relate to our children, how children relate 
to parents. Talk about how we think about and engage in sex. It'll talk about how we think about and engage in money or the distribution of money. It's a little bit more broader, and we have it here in Hebrews 13. So the author of Hebrews has spent much of the letter uh, elevating Jesus, and then now as the letter concludes in what we call chapter 13, you're going to get this this kind of be this type of people, let the gospel shape you into this type of people uh, statement. I'm going to read it all the way out loud. This is verses one through six. Then we're going to go through kind of verse by verse-ish and notice some things. Then we're going to take some time to self-examine. Then we're going to take communion. You guys ready? Okay. I, isn't this fun? I don't mean actual fun. I mean like church fun. You know what I mean? It's like family fun. It's not like really fun, but it's like, you know, it's in the context, like Disneyland. You know what I mean? Like it's, you know, you're sweating. Okay, so <laughs> let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality. For by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without even knowing it. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them. And the mistreated, as though you yourself were suffering bodily. Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled, because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself, speaking of Jesus, he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can humans do to me? This is the word of the living God. And so you have, don't you see it? You have this very, it's a little bit broad. Be this type of people in light of the gospel, in light of who Jesus is. We're going to bring that down, down to the specific context. We're going to be this type of people. What type of people are we going to be? You'll notice that the text explicitly states it right at the beginning. Chickity, chickity, check. Let what? Brotherly love. Okay, you guys ever heard of the town called Philadelphia? Philadelphia is the phrase brotherly love. Now, brotherly love is unique. And here, I want to lean into this just for a moment. You're going to see it in the text, and I'm going to argue strongly for this. And I hope that you see it too. Brotherly love is not simply an emotion or a disposition towards someone else. I'd like to prove it to you. When your brother or sister are sick or in need of food... What does love compel you to do? Take care of them? Give them the food? If your brother or sister is in need, what would love look like in your relationship with them? Meeting the what? Notice, brotherly love is not just an emotional disposition towards someone. It's also quite active. If you love your brother or sister and they, in our, and they are in need and you fail to help them meet the need, do you love your brother or sister? It's getting quiet. It's going to get worse. Here we go. Let brotherly love continue. Okay, so real quick, there's so much joy at the other side of this. I, I, I can feel us all cringing, right? 
I can feel our, the, the cheeks of our buttockses collectively like, I don't want to talk about money, but listen to me. I'm your pastor. I love you so much. The only reason I'm doing this is because there's so much Jesus-centered joy on the other side. Okay, what I want for you is not toxic guilt or shame or to feel like you've been bludgeoned to death. I want for you the joy that I have seen in Jesus. I'm simply trying to lead you to Jesus, all right? Okay, so we'll have a few laughs on the way, and if you want to curse me out later, get a ticket and join the line. Okay, so let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. And everyone said, that's weird. It's weird. What do you mean when I invite a stranger in and I show hospitality to them that, that I might be entertaining angels and not be aware of it? Okay, here's... Here's my current thinking or understanding of this. I don't think the idea is that every time we have a stranger into our home, we say, did it hurt when you fell from heaven? This is a bad pickup line. I tried it in high school. Not a lot of dates in high school for old Caleb Campbell, as it turned out. So, right, you're not supposed to think, okay, is this person an angel? Rather, to see, so what do angels do? Angels do the work of God. Rather, to see in every stranger the potential work of the Father in and through them. You see, we, we tend to view strangers with suspicion rather than curiosity. And here I think what the author is arguing is when you, see, when you show hospitality to a stranger, you may be showing hospitality to one in and through whom God is doing a great work. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, show hospitality doing this. Welcome angels with, uh, as guests without. Okay, so let brotherly love. Brotherly love is an act. This is day-to-day life. Now, notice the hospitality piece. Hospitality was the glue of the early church. In the time of the early church, first couple few hundred years of the church, churches did not own buildings, and they did not have budgets. They met in homes, and the homes that they met in were, 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 were people who said, who were showing hospitality. You can have my food. You, can, you, you strangers, come into my home. And the church was, generally speaking, uh, when the church would gather, it'd be, uh, from what we can understand, it'd be around 30 to 50 misfits. And the host would generally be someone with a large enough space in their home, which was quite rare, by the way. They might have a courtyard or something. And they would gather together for a feast, a feast centered around communion. And do you know what kind of people they would invite into their homes? People who had nothing in common with them except for the fact that they were bought and bound together by the love and grace of God made known to us through Jesus Christ. The early church was a bunch of misfits. You had in the early church people who were so far apart politically that their people were literally at war. And yet at communion, they shared a meal in love. You had uh, people who owned people and you had people who were owned. You had male and female. You had all these different uh, socioeconomic religious differences, the poor and the rich, right? And so to have someone who was a host, to show hospitality, when the church would gather, you would be inviting in people that everyone else around you would think were your enemies, but aren't because of Jesus. When we think about hospitality, most of the time, the only people we're imagining coming into our homes is people just like us. This is not the type of hospitality that the author of Hebrews is speaking of. This is 
even the stranger comes in. Now, here's the other thing we know, too, is this command, this call, this exhortation was given to a predominantly poor group of people. The church, within the first couple hundred years of its existence, was predominantly comprised of people who we would refer to as poor. And this speaks to a very real temptation. There's a very real temptation for us to say this phrase, I will be generous when I have enough. I will be generous when I have enough. But here's the problem with that question and that construct. You guys ready for this one? Maybe some of y'all have said it. I know I've said it. Here's the problem with the phrase, I'll be more generous when I have enough. The enough, the definition of enough seems to get inflated every time I get closer to it. Oh, I'll prove it to you. I remember my first job. I was, uh, I, I was the um, world's greatest dishwasher at Floridino's. It was an Italian restaurant in Chandler. And I remember I worked my first job. I think I was 15. And I remember getting this piece of paper that I could turn into the bank and they would give me cash. Magic. And I remember looking on there and there were three digits in front of the dot. And I thought, this is so much money. And there was also some guy named FICA who took some of my money. And I'd like to find that guy, give him a piece of my mind. But you know what I thought when I saw that paycheck? I thought, this is so much money. I'm a hundredaire. And I went to the bank and I deposited my check and I got my money. I started spending my money. And you know what? You know what I started saying to myself? You know what I could use a little more of next paycheck? Money. And then I got a raise. And I'm like, I have, look at all this money. There's a two in front of the other two digits in front of the dot. Whoa! So much. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. And then a couple hours later, you know what I started thinking I might need a little more of? Just a little more money. You see, when I say the phrase, I will be generous when I have enough, the temptation is, is that I just keep redefining enough to be just a little bit further down the road. And so here's what I've been trying to do. Instead of asking, how much should I give away? I've been trying to ask, how much is God calling me to keep? Because I want to be a person who exhibits brotherly love. And brotherly love calls me to be a person who not only shows hospitality, even to people who are strangers to me, but also to meet the needs of others. And I don't know if you know this, but there are needs in our community. Okay, let's keep going. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison. Have you guys ever heard the phrase, uh, love your neighbor as yourself? This is that applied to two places that we don't want to talk about. So the author of Hebrews is likely, riff. I think the author of Hebrews is riffing off Jesus' call to love your neighbor as yourself and specifically applying it to a place that we don't want to talk about. You guys ready? You notice how it keeps getting quieter and quieter the longer we're in the text? Yeah, no, I know it too, right? I don't like this. I don't like Hebrews 13 either. Except, actually, if you, if you have your Bibles, look ahead a few verses where it says, don't be a pain in the butt to your church leadership. That's my favorite. That's my favorite verse. Remember those in prison as, you, as though you were what? Do you know who the easiest people to forget about are in our, in our context and community? Prisoners. 
One of the things that I know about our church family is we have many within our church family who've been previously incarcerated. Many of us have spouses, family members, friends, parents, children who are presently incarcerated, and, and you know as well as I do. It's hard to remember to write the letter. Sometimes that visit just, we're just gonna punt that down the road, especially in light of COVID. It's, it's easier to forget And yet here in the text, out of a heart of generosity, what are we called to do? Remember, as if you were in prison and if you were incarcerated, notice it doesn't say unjustly. Dang. Yeah, notice it doesn't say unjustly. And by the way, the majority of the New Testament authors were people with a record. A lot of them went to jail. Here you have, remember those who it's so easy to forget, those in prison, as though what? And if you were in prison, what would you want people to do towards you? To remember you, to care for you, to visit you? Jesus is so wonderful. He he says this, that when you visit the prisoner, you visit me. Jesus, I just want you to hear that, especially for those of you with the who have been incarcerated before. Do you see that Jesus, the king and creator of the universe, so loves you and so identifies you and identifies with you that he's free to share with the entire cosmos that when a prisoner is visited, he is visited? And let me tell you this too, friends. We have got to be a people who do everything we can to put to death the stigma of those who have done time. And I'll tell you what, there is not one of us that can stand before the almighty judge and say, I'm innocent. And here's the good news of the gospel. You are more guilty than you could ever imagine. And yet Jesus Christ loves you more than you could ever fathom. He's given his life for you. And guess who gets to define you? Jesus does. Not your record, not your past, not the things that Satan leverages to bring about toxic shame and guilt, you are defined by the king and creator of the universe. And I want you to hear his voice. When you visit the prisoner, you visit me. You see, a heart of generosity is not just about stroking checks. A heart of generosity is giving our lives even to those who make us quite uncomfortable, like strangers, and prisoners, and then notice too, those who are being mistreated. This is oftentimes the disenfranchised, the poor, those who've been the victims of persistent injustice. Do you know who is super easy to forget in our community? The people whose voices are being silenced. And yet as a people, a generous people, we're to live differently in light of who Jesus is and what he's done. Then there's this really interesting part, and it almost seems like a non sequitur. It feels like it's out of sequence. Uh, Maybe some of you guys picked up on it. Marriage is, okay, now we're talking about marriage. Why are we talking about marriage? Huh? What would money have to do with marriage? Where's my wife? Honey? Earmuffs. Okay. Marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. That seems like a 
almost like it doesn't belong in what we've been talking about, doesn't it? Kind of seems strange, kind of seems weird, like out of place. And here's what I think is going on. Uh, frequently in Scripture, this is, this is something I've been thinking about in preparation for this message. Frequently in Scripture, calls for uh, 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 condemnations of greed are, are oftentimes in very close proximity to con, uh, condemnations of sexual immorality and abuse. And the elevation of a generosity and hospitality is in proxim- very close proximity to the elevation of a, a, a loving relationship uh, and marriage and propriety of marriage. And it's really interesting. Why would that be, right? So, so here's my current thinking. Here's kind of how I'm understanding this. Sex, money, and power. Sex, money, and power are all good gifts from God. That can easily be turned and distorted and do great damage to people. You guys with me so far? Okay. So again, we're talking about generosity, right? Money. We're talking about the marriage bed and sexual propriety. We're talking about sex and we're talking about money. And by the way, when we talk about money and sex, we're also talking about power. Here is my understanding of why these two things are frequently tied together. Actually, I want to give you just some proof. Um, In Ezekiel, everyone's favorite book, in Ezekiel... Uh, 1649, it says this. So uh, maybe some of you guys have heard of like Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah show up in Genesis and they're destroyed by God. Primarily, most of us think uh, because of their sexual immorality. They try to do rape. They try to do sexual assault and abuse. And and, and they're just, they're destroyed for it. Most of us think about Sodom and Gomorrah primarily through the lens of sexual immorality. But listen to Ezekiel. Chapter 16, verse 49. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. What was the guilt of Sodom? Listen. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, careless ease, but she did not help the poor and needy. Do you see that the the prophet Ezekiel does not see Uh, the way that they treated their physical bodies uh, uh, sexually from the way that they treated their physical bodies in their hospitality. Uh, To put it another way, when I have a distorted view of sex, I view other humans not as image bearers of God, but as objects for my own delight. You guys tracking? Right? When I have a distorted view of sex, I view other humans not as image bearers of God, but as objects for my satisfaction. And what does greed do? Greed views humans not as image bearers of God deserving of my hospitality, but rather objects to produce more wealth for me and my satisfaction. See, when we take sex, money, and power, and we we look at them through the distorted evil lens, they objectify other humans. But hospitality, remembering prisoners, remembering the abused, and caring for them is a means of, it's a frontal assault against those evil perspectives of dehumanizing and objectifying people. That's why the author is tethering these two things together. Because whether it's a failure to show hospitality because people are simply a means to an end or a failure to keep the marriage bed undefiled because people are simply a means to an end, both of them stem from the heart of I'm bigger than you, I'm better than you, I deserve all that you can give me because you're an object for my satisfaction. But a heart of generosity comes from a heart that's been radically transformed by the gospel and recognizes that all ground is equal at the foot of the cross, 
that every human, regardless of their, their, their perspective, their background, their, their abilities, every human is made with inherent dignity, worth, and value. They are not the object for my satisfaction. All right, let's keep going. Uh, you guys having fun yet? Watch this. Keep your life what? Free from the what? Now, have you guys ever heard it said, ever, 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 heard it said that the thing that should continue among us is love? You guys ever heard that anywhere? Have you guys ever heard that in like Hebrews 13? Verse 1? Yeah. What does it say? Something about Philadelphia? Let brotherly love, right? Familial love. So we are called to love, right? Yeah, okay. So notice here then the juxtaposition. It's not that we're not to be a people of love, but we're to be free from the love of money. I want you to notice something. That the author of Hebrews is juxtaposing the love of money against the love of people. Do you see it? Let the love for people, brotherly love, reign, but do not love money. Do you see how we're loving? We're just picking the object of our love. You see, generosity stems not from a love of money, but from a brotherly love that stems from Jesus for one another. A heart of generosity looks at everyone else and says, these are people made in the image and likeness of God, and the material resources and possessions and assets that I have are not solely for my satisfaction, but they are for us. And by the way, if you'd like a great example of this, look in the the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 and on, when it describes how the first churches would gather. It said that they sold of their possessions and shared everything as anyone had need. You see, Jesus shapes every aspect of our life. Let's keep going. Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Hello, people living in consumeristic, capitalistic society. Is satisfaction with what you have of value in the cultural waters that we're swimming in? You tell me. Have you guys watched television? Have you guys been to the grocery store? Do you know that in both of those places, you are getting gospel messages saying to you that your life is incomplete without this new product? Have you guys ever been on social media? I'm there. Let me tell you, if you're not there yet, wouldn't bother. There are literally algorithms that multi-bazillionaires are creating to feed you a consistent message to say, do not be content with what you have. Our souls are at war with consumeristic greed every day, of every week. We are swimming in consumerism. And here's the weird part, and this may get me into some trouble, but I'm just gonna do it. Slapping a Christian label on the product still doesn't mean you need it. Do you know how many Christian products, do you know how many times Jesus went to the Christian store? (laughs) 
there is such a thing in America as the, a friend of, a person that I follow actually, he calls it the evangelical industrial complex. There's always, I mean, how many Bibles do we need, friends? How many products do we need until our faith is secure in Jesus? Oh my goodness, what I wouldn't give for the faith of one of my fellow pastors who's now giving communion to 12 of his faithful members in bombed out chapel in Aleppo. We're drunk on consumerism. In fact, um, oh man. Yeah, let's just hit it. Um, you know the thing that we talk about anytime there's a national crisis? You want to know what the, one of the first things we talk about is? It starts with an E and ends in economy. Is that, the, is that the most important thing? I get that a healthy economy is helpful. It really does help people. I'm not arguing. I'm not doing any of that. But we are just so consumed with buying goods and services to meet a perceived need that someone else told us that we thought we have. How much shiplap do we need? That Chip and Joanna Gaines. I know that people say they're Christian, but I think it's demonic. Get out of here. See, here's the, here's the funny thing with greed. Um, it's easy to condemn how it expresses it itself in other things that you don't like, but when it's something that you want, it's a need, isn't it? See, when it's shiplap, it's greed. When it's a Bronco, it's a need. How else am I going to get all that shiplap to my house from Home Depot? Hmm? See, here's the insidious thing about greed. It comes from a place of discontentment. But let me just ask you, do you ever know when you're being greedy? Like, do you know when you're speeding? Talk to me now. Literally, you have a thing in the front that tells you that that number is over that number. You're speeding. And if I was sitting next to you as your pastor, looking at you, casting shame and guilt upon you, and I said, are you speeding? You would know it. And here's what you would say. Yes, but. In my case, right, here's the thing, right? We always try to excuse ourselves. How about stealing? Cheating on your taxes, right? When you ask for dependence, if you put 27, the little tax cut pro adds to your little, you know, government bonus or whatever it is. That's crazy. If you're cheating, if you're stealing, and I said, hey, are you cheating or stealing, you would say what? Yes, but. Right? But if, if I or someone else in your life said, are you being greedy right now? Would you be able to self-analyze? Greed is insidious in its propensity to shapeshift in our lives and not reveal itself. It's like a virus that we just can't see. And, and here's, here's the deal. I'm not arguing that I should come into your life and point out everything that's greedy. I don't think that's healthy, and I frankly don't think that's going to work. So here's what we need. We need a God who knows us deeper than we know our own selves. And we need the spirit of the living God to convict us of sin as we allow him to speak to us. Like, I, I can't convict you of greed. And frankly, I don't even know that I know for my own self. I don't know when I'm being greedy. 
But here's then my prayer, and we're going to actually do this here in a moment. So be satisfied with what you have for what? Where's, what's the foundation of generosity and hospitality? Note this. How do we not feel fear around this? Notice what he says. For he himself has said, you guys tell me, I will never... Okay. What, generally speaking, causes a person to be greedy is a fear that they're not going to have enough. And so they need to get more. But here we have a, a call, an exhortation to live generously, to live hospitably. And the foundation is not stop being greedy. The foundation is what? Jesus loves you more than you can ever imagine. He gave his life for you. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. And note this. He rose again on the third day, conquering over Satan's sin and death. Evil has no claim over you. Death has no claim for you. What can humans do to you? Do you know what will leave you and abandon you eventually through the corridors of time? All this stuff. It's all, it's presently decomposing. Who is not presently decomposing, but is risen and living life and sustaining the, <laughs> sustaining the created order by the word of his power. The one who promises to never leave you or forsake you. And so, note this, we can be content, satisfied with what we have, and we can do what? What's the word? Boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Notice the author is tethering greed and fear together. I will not be afraid. For what can people do to me? You are loved more than you can ever imagine. Jesus knows your needs in a more profound and abundant way than you do. And he holds you together. And he promises to never leave you or forsake you. Do you know that? I hope that you do. See, Jesus says everyone who's going their own way, who's pursuing things even like greed or sex, money, and power to justify their own lives, were to repent, were to turn from sin, were to believe the good news that Jesus has given his life for us. And in so doing and recognizing that, we get a new identity. We get restored. We get forgiveness. We receive his grace. And we recognize that he will never, ever, ever leave us or forsake us. And so as we talk about hospitality and greed and generosity, I'm going to ask you to pray the prayer of Psalm 139. Lord, search me and know me. So we're going to take a moment and do that. I'm going to ask the band to come out. We're going to spend a moment to examine ourselves before we take communion. I'll come back out and lead us in communion, and then we will conclude our time together. And so would you pray this Psalm 139?
going to take of communion together. And so for those who are in the room, if you would please take of the elements. I believe there's some available in the back of the seats in front of you or the tables back here, especially for those in the bay. The table back here should have the elements. For those joining us online, if you would please grab the elements to reflect the, represent the body and blood of Jesus as we take together as a church family. And if you would please take out the bread for those of you that are in the room right off the top, and then also open now the juice, and then I'll guide us through the taking together. In this act of remembrance, we also recognize our communion with God and with one another. We reflect upon the generosity of God who took on flesh, became one of us, dwelt among us, gave his life for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me, my body broken for you. Would you take and eat? And at that same meal with his disciples, he took of the fruit of the vine and he said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take and drink and remember? Would you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, we see in your word this call to remember those who are easy to forget, just as you have remembered us. We see that you've called us to visit with those who are far from us, just as you have visited us. We see this call to live generously, just as you have been generous to us. And so now, Lord, we ask that you would move in such a way to, one, convict us of our sin, bring us to a place of repentance, turning from our sin, turning to you, and lead us into a space of deep and abiding generosity that comes not from toxic guilt or shame comes from a heart transformed by you. And Jesus, we even now in this moment remind ourselves of your promise to never leave us or forsake us. By the power of your spirit, would you make that palpable to each one of us in this room now? Jesus, we ask these things knowing that you love us. You're powerful to bring them about. And so we entrust ourselves to you. Amen. Church, will you stand with me?